0: to disturb your lunch time uh, it's time to resume I was uh, I was told by Knody to repeat next week's program which is has the recognition celebration and actions of International Women's Day inspired equality so now we will move into the questions answer period and I asked the uh, Andrea and Corny to come up please and take the questions which I hope will be as usual concise but um, also short short S s h a o o r t. (laughs) So please help us discuss this important issue
1: Um, my name's Becky Cousins. I'm a long-time enjoyer of the Castle area. Um, before it was trashed, except by logging and all the other things, but not by OHVs. Um, we, I keep hearing from many sources that only two, three, four, five percent of users are, are motorized. Um, And yet, they are getting all the publicity. What can all the quiet users do to unite, to have rallies, and show Albertans that there are a lot of people who care?
2: Thanks, Becky. So the short answer is speak up. And I get it, we're part of a quiet majority. But you need to speak up. You need to write an email. You need to call. You need to organize as you feel you can organize. You need to take part in public consultation. Um, What we have have seen in light of the recent rallies and other activities that are pro-quad is that it's easier to rally against something than it is for something. So I would ask everyone to dig deep and speak up.
3: Yeah, I'll second that. My name is Knut Peterson. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about snowmobiles. What are the, what are, what are the plans for these parks in terms of uh, snowmobile use? Uh, is that the... Do we have the same... Pro- it's a different problem, but... Uh, Are they less invasive, or can you fill us in on that, please?
4: So, in the draft castle management plan, uh, motorized recreation included snowmobiles. And uh, there are many different reasons for that. Again, uh, the science is out there regarding users. Uh, There's uh, quite an impact from snowmobiles on other users. There are impacts on other kinds of wildlife values, but they have actually looked at this and bought them all together. Uh, under the motorized recreation piece. So if you have a concern about snowmobiles, again, bring it forward to the castle management planners and speak your piece. Um, I think that's important, but I think that there is some science out there that actually is pointing towards some detrimental effects from snowmobile use on the biodiversity values. In particular, um, the the Crown Managers Partnership, I'm not sure if anybody knows about this group. It's um, part of the crown of the continent. It's actually agencies. So Montana, uh, BC and Alberta, it's called the Crown Manager's Partnership. And they have flagged, uh, one of their major concerns for the crown of the continent is mesocarnivores. carnivores Now meso-carnivores are lynx, uh, wolverine, bobcat, those particularly wolverine are particularly susceptible. Right now we're doing, there's some research underway. And we're looking, and the recent research, the only thing I saw was the Flathead side, the BC side, there was quite a few that were denning, mothers with kits, et cetera. The only two found in the castle. So if we're really talking about a full suite of biodiversity values that are important for the future and the crown of the continent, this is a biodiversity value that is actually on the radar for agencies as well as others and conservationists. So just putting that out there, uh, snowmobiling, and believe it or not, c- they're finding that ski touring also has an impact on wolverines, especially denning women, or denning women, women wolverines, <laughs> female wolverines.
5: Uh, Terry Shellington, thank you both for your presentation. Um, I'd like to hear your comments on today's article on, I guess, yesterday's announcement by the provincial government that there will be, a, as I interpreted, a year's delay in uh, implementation. Uh, I think some are interpreting that as the government losing a little bit of political will here. Uh, I wonder if that's your interpretation.
4: No, I don't see it as that at all. Uh, what we see that is actually giving enough time for people to weigh in. We've heard this from municipal district councils. We've heard it from other people that this seemed to, it's, it's a lot, that document's over 100 pages long. So let's take a look at it seriously and and give people an extra month to actually weigh in. And actually, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm actually in some ways grateful for a little bit of extra time, even though it needs a lot more work for us. But it allows the quiet side, the majority there, actually thought this was done and it was done. and. If you're in favor of this, then you need to speak out now. You've got an extra month to talk. Please don't take your time. Please do it now. But uh, I really think it's important that we we just say this is good uh, to have that extra time for input to the castle management plan. The actual access opening is another time by because basically, as I mentioned before, that last slide I put up is that they're looking at other designated or areas that they can actually use for this use these kinds of motorized recreation. They're gonna need some time. The planning is underway, but there's a lot of public impulse still to come, so that's why they're doing a phase out. So I think it's actually prudent on their part to some extent, politically. Now, speaking from (laughs) Castle Crown's point of view and the rest of us, we wish that it hadn't happened. Uh, We think that it's important that we protect the castle for the values that are there, but that's just reality at this point, so there we go.
6: My name is Van Krishn. Uh, thank you very much, ladies, for your excellent presentation. I was delighted to hear that uh, Shell Oil is c- is considering closing down within a number of years. Um, they, as people here, probably are aware of the fact that they have punched through a great number of roads that have done an enormous amount of damage uh, in the castle area over the years. And I know that they're committed to doing a lot of uh, restoration when they do close down. But in addition, the, my question is that in addition to encouraging us all to make our, our views known regarding motorized vehicles on the, Westerns, on the eastern slopes, uh, would we not be also well advised over the long term to encourage Shell to carry out their restoration completely and in, in great detail? So that we end up with uh, a restored eastern slope. Do you want to answer
4: that one? Okay. Well, Shell Waterton, um, I I was actually been to a few of their meetings. Uh, what they call the Watershed Advisory Group (WAG), and uh, they have been talking to us about you know their eventual. It's a 10, 15 maybe I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but there will be a phase out over time, and their restoration actually is actually actively underway right now. So they will be looking at, once those uh, well sites are done, uh, they will be rolling them back. And so uh, the other thing that I have noticed, and we've had a tour of their sites, is that they're actually using native vegetation for restoration, um, which is good. They're trying really hard to work around the streams and uh, really critical habitat for trout. Always room for improvement, um, but at least there's an effort there on the side of that company to do the right thing. So we encourage them to do so. Did I answer your question?
6: Well, not quite. Okay. I, I think we all, that we all benefit mm-hmm. if we, as a public, become aware of what they're doing and encourage them. Yes. These companies need encouragement. Yes, we they do.
4: No yeah, just watch them and then yeah, definitely encourage them to do the right thing. And if you see, you know, where it has been not done properly, then let them know. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Mary Shillington, I thank you both of you for not just the your talk today, but for the hours and hours you spent on this issue. So thank you very much. Thank you. Um, you said, uh, Connie, I think it was you that said about the hunters and the program that they during hunting season that they, uh, uh, would be working on uh, what that, that I'd like you to say some more about that but had an interesting conversation at our table from a hunter who is at our table who has hunted and gone into the backcountry not necessarily um, castle but other parts of backcountry and actually used a wheelbarrow to haul out the hunt the, hunt, the, the moose uh, which was a mile or so distance so like what kind of uh, agreements will be made with hunters to, in the castle to, to protect the environment more?
4: That's a really good question and thank you very much. There was a fair amount of discussion re- in the castle working group uh, regarding hunting and as I mentioned already, hunting is allowed in both the parks which actually, for the provincial park, which is more, <laughs> more used by people uh, this was always a bit of a question on public safety as well But what they've decided to do is to to allow it and see, you know, within the castle draft management plan that's allowed in both parks. Access was brought up. How do you get that animal that's five, six kilometers back there? And and I like your idea of the wheelbarrow. I'm all for it. Please put it into your your statement (laughs) on a personal level. I'm all for that. And also there's a new burgeoning group in Alberta called the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers who are absolutely non-motorized and want to go that way. Right? So they're actually coming to the forefront now, just, just starting, and uh, definitely with that ethos in mind. If you're gonna go back there and get that animal, you gotta carry it out yourself, right? So, um, but at this point, they're allowing for, it sounds like, at this point, within the draft management plan, and again, that's still open for decisions, uh, to have some kind of limited trail access for hunters during hunting season. Okay, so that's what we heard yesterday. I have no more information on that than you do. Uh, what does that mean? I don't know. So, you know, you're welcome to weigh in and what you feel about that that particular point.
3: i Douglas Mitchell. I um, want to change the, the pace a little bit. Um, I am very concerned, and I, of course, as you know, the majority of this audience is strongly supportive of the thrust of your message, as I am as well, although I'm not hiking anymore, and I certainly I'm not using any OHV, <laughs> But uh, my concern, and I'd like you to say something about it, is the increasing threat of violence, and uh, maybe part of that, the spillover from Trump-style populism. And how would you uh, suggest you would deal with that?
4: Boy, you're asking me to fix the US. No, I didn't say that. Um, The question, that's a good question. And I think that what they're looking at is uh, increased enforcement and education. So what we found with the actual officers who have been out on the ground in the last year or so is that there is a major education component to their interaction with the users. And I think this is really important and, and to have people understand the largest scope of values and concerns that are out there. And it's also behoven to all of us to talk to our friends and neighbors who are actually quad users. As a society, we need to actually engage and not create the bubbles that actually create division amongst us. And I really am a proponent of that, of reaching across those boundaries and talking to people and hoping that they're open enough to have that conversation as well. So that's really something in a social level that we need to really think about as well. I don't have any answer to populism, folks. Um, I'm just reaching across the bubbles. That's where I'm at,
2: and the education, and the awareness, and that. That's about it. That's all we can do. And through Castle Crown Wilderness Coalition, we do have an outreach program where students and uh, seasonal staff go into the campgrounds and speak to the people who are there. And it is a really human way of, of... Speaking to some, you know, an, potentially an adversary person, and um, it is a one-on-one. It's slow, and it's not definitely something that grabs a lot of attention. But that would be a way that we, as a nonprofit organization, can help uh, get across a message that is that doesn't allow for violence and obscenities.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. Mark Gettle is my name.
4: I just, uh, just hang on, I want to, I just forgot something here that I want to talk about because there is that element of violence that you had alluded to. It was very interesting to me that uh, last week I had an hour and a half conversation with an RCMP officer who was up in the Nordic area and he said it is out of control and it is really scary. And there is an element, it's not all of this particular user group, there is an element and there is some grave concerns regarding safety of the officers that are out there, et cetera. So it's not, you have to be very careful about where we go and what we do, um, and uh, measure that very carefully when you are actually embarking on reaching across. So just a word of safety on that.
0: Okay, Mark Gettle is my name. One of the beefs of the Quad Squad is that they've spent thousands of hours of volunteer time and money building and maintaining these trails. And I'm just wondering, has there an audit been made to? Uh, to evaluate uh, and put a cash value on all this time? And if so, would the government be able to or be willing to compensate them for their time and effort and, and input?
4: Okay, so actually a lot of the money that came through, actually, I think for building the bridges, and correct me if I'm wrong, Warren Cheryl, um, I think came actually from government funding. Um, and so the Quad Squad, of course, is actually, they've been trying very hard to uh, mitigate some of the stream crossings, unfortunately. The Quad Squad put the bridges in and they were for the original ATV size. And now we have side-by-sides, we have four-by-fours, we have all of these other types of users. And so beside, if you go into the castle you'll see a bridge and you'll see the Ford right beside it. And then you'll have many different groups such as Cows and Fish and other stewardship groups out there trying really hard to actually reclaim some of those crossings and they're run right over. And again, we can have lots of people saying, verifying that, that problem. So while we recognize that uh, as an effort on their part and we commend them for that, it's not really, it's a band-aid solution at this point. It's not really doing the job that it was meant to do. And so, like I said, we need to look at hardening off uh, stream crossings for sure and putting them in places that less impact is better uh, in public lands of Alberta, but in the parks at this point, it's a park. So they kind of hit the reset button when they created the castle parks.
7: Well, you know me, so I won't introduce myself. Um, I, I have a question about the um, indigenous role. It's uh, there's an indication they would have a co-management role. And I wondered what your understanding of, or what that might involve.
4: So at the castle announcement, uh, the premier was there with Bikani people. <coughs> there were wonderful dancers, children were there, and drummers, medicine, a person who did a, a prayer for us at that gathering. The Pekani will be actually part of the co-management. They're going to embark on how to actually integrate the, the actual traditional ecological knowledge, the historical aspect of the of the use of First Nations into into the park. So I'm not sure, quite frankly, how they're going to do that. That's their conversation. And that was the with the government, how they're going to do that, I'm sure. But to have that presence there, that announcement told me a lot, that they are going to be actively a part, and we will see more than likely I would suspect, don't hold me to this, probably in the interpretive centre, you know, something about First Nations history, and we may have First Nations people actually working there in interpretation, whatever it is that they are going to be doing, I have no idea at this point, but that's what I suspect is happening. I hope that answered that question. In other ways, I'm not sure, but I'm glad.
7: (laughs) Uh, Art Sanford, and, I might say that I have spent now just over 50 years camping in the castle. The Castle Falls has been my spot, and also uh, I've spent 49 years building the Mill Creek Baptist Camp in there, which is operating very well. But I do have a concern that when I look at the number of logging roads and trails that have been closed off, and the amount of underbrush that's in there, I don't think it's going to be a question, of if it's going to be just a question of when the castle is going to burn and we're going to be like the Lost Creek fire, your access of getting fire crews in there is going to be very difficult. That's the one issue I have. The other issue I have is, you know, if anything I've learned in life, it's life is one of compromises. And you've got a hundred million dollar recreational vehicle, and by the way, I've never owned one or used one, but in there, and they've been there for a number of years. I don't like the idea of the rounding cap and, and the damage they're doing, but we also need to recognize that it is a major uh, economic deal in there. And my question is, are you prepared to compromise with the off-road pe- people, or is there gonna be a stroke of a pen that uh, throws them all out? And whether that, and then there's gonna be a lot of pushback if you do.
4: Do you wanna answer that question? Okay. So that's um, a multi-layered answer, question requiring a multi-layered answer. So on the fire piece, I think as uh, any of the parks that have run into this when you actually create a protected area, you need to look at how fire is actually active on your landscape. And I know they'll be working with fire hydrologists and fire experts, (laughs) etc. My sense is probably they would look at prescribed burning in specific areas as they do in other areas, other parks in Alberta, national parks included. So that would be one of the things that they would look at doing and also fire smart around different areas. I mean, those programs are already there. And so I think that's that's where they'll go with that piece. Regarding the multi-million dollar vehicles and all the rest of it and the use and all of that, as I mentioned before, they're seriously l- contemplating. And that's why we're looking at a phase out to give time to actually create the designated areas and trails that actually can accommodate within the carrying capacity of different areas on public lands. In the Livingston and Porcupine, they're embarking on that process right now to see what is actually the carrying capacity, what can we do logically, and that will not wreck those other critical values such as water, biodiversity, etc. And to look at how to actually manage that appropriately. So we will do, their, do the best we can with that, and it requires everybody to weigh in on what their needs are. And uh, that's where I see that going. In the castle... It is still open. The castle management plan draft is out for public input. So I'm sure that that particular cohort is definitely alive and well and putting in their their request to stay alive and well and have, as I've heard, a shared park, shared use park. But I'll also say that quiet recreation segment that brings in, as I mentioned, the BLM study that's in the United States, two-thirds of the money comes from the quiet recreation sector. Our, pro- our actual parks such as Waterton, and Glacier National Park in Montana, I don't know how many times I've heard the superintendent say, we can't take any more people, we're full. Waterton was actually, there was a huge lineup out onto the highway last year on a long weekend. Banff is bursting at the seams. It's gonna be even more this year and now everybody's free pass, right? So what are we doing with this, this segment of tourism and recreation that brings the bulk of the money? I think that we need to accommodate them. We need to look at where we're putting this into the crown of the continent in a realistic way. And we need to accommodate the motorized recreation groups to the point of proportionality of their use in rea- relationship to the others, other Albertans and other visitors as well. So I think it's underway. It's just gonna take some time and make, make sure we do it right. That's, that's where we're headed, I'm hoping.
6: I'm Van Christy with the second question. Um, can you tell me why the why hunting is permitted at all in the Castle area, uh, the way it is not permitted in our national parks of Canada?
4: That is the designation under our Public Our Parks Act, and uh, that's it, it is actually discretion to of the actual management plans, but it is actually an allowed use in our in our wildland parks and our provincial parks have a look on their website (laughs) and not in national parks because that is a federally listed uh, park so it's a different mandate altogether and uh, and if you don't like that then I did hear some rumblings about revision of the Parks Act down the road but we'll see and in that again is where do you want to go as a social you know socially what kind of input would you like to have to that particular question when that happens
3: Hi, uh, am I allowed another question? Yes. yes, you are. Okay. Yes, <laughs> uh, Thank you very much for coming down. Uh, I should tell people that uh, Andrea Haladi is, uh, I used to watch her on a basketball floor many years ago uh, at UofL, and she's a Hall of Famer in Lethbridge.
2: The older I get, the better I was.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, on that note, I will uh, ask my question. Um, how, how will this park impact uh, Castle Mountain, if any, in any way, shape, or form?
4: The Castle Mountain Ski uh, Ski Resort is still part of the municipal district of Pincher Creek. That is a small little enclave that is actually not part of the actual park. It's embedded in the middle of the park. So so it brings all the host of different things. It has actually many, many opportunities for this Castle Ski Resort. They have actually been talking about becoming an all-season resort or an all-season actual place to be. So if we have wonderful equestrian riding trails or hiking trails in the winter, cross-country skiing and snowshoeing, trails that people can use, we're gonna get more visitors. And this, again, could become, if they approach it appropriately and with the right spirit and intent, then we could have a real boom uh, for the local MD, you know, through that particular piece. So we can go from there.
2: And uh, there there are resources being put into as we saw with Minister Miranda's business plan and also the order in council that that southwest corner of Alberta has been given the tourism nod and re- money and infrastructure, et cetera, will be put into that area as far as tourism. So I think Castle Mount Resort um, has a great opportunity in front of them.
4: And on that regarding, I always say, okay, you look where infrastructure goes and then you know where the intent goes. So there is actually, right now, the MD Pincher Creek is looking at water and sewage uh, issues for both the beaver mines and uh, addressing those concerns and needs and for the Castle Ski Resort. There you go.
0: I take the right to ask the last question. Um, I gather... <laughs> I ga- I. uh, Thank you, Terry, thank you. (laughs) 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 I gather, um, over the years I've learned, the whole thing is public attitude. Public attitude towards, well, anything, in this case, public lands. And um, to change public attitude is a long-term process, but political systems are short-term processes. So how can we ask government To deal with this issue.
4: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. So how do we how do we get uh, government to you know short term a short term government? Not saying NDP is short term. not professing anything you know, in line with our public attitudes which take a long time to move. So for me, I don't want a culture of petroleum-based motorized use. I don't want that attitude. I don't want my children growing up like that. I don't want to be included in a shoot 'em up, rough, you know, redneck, let's have a party with alcohol on quads. That's not my culture. And so I think I need to stand firm and I need to stick my neck out there and say, my public attitude is this, and I will not be swept up into Trump esque shit stuff and I will not let that be part of what I consider my Alberta attitude in my culture obviously this is personal (laughs) Um, but I do I think I think um, we as a public and we as individuals Mm -hmm. we owe it to our neighbors and those that came before us, we owe it to ourselves and our kids not to let someone else speak for us and not to be involved in something that we are not. So I don't, that didn't answer my question, but it felt very good.
0: <laughs> you answered the question exceptionally well. You taught me that it is a matter of the heart, isn't it? Okay, Terry, what happened to you? <laughs> Last question.
5: Well, I decided that was a good note to end on, but uh, uh, but I just wanted to make a comment. You, c- you can comment back if you'd like. Uh, I'm blessed to have a seven-year-old grandson who who delights in spending some time looking at motorcycles and so on. So we've walked through New Way Motorsports there on 43rd several times. And I'm just relating back to your comment that sometimes the bridges of your of olden days don't fit modern vehicles, and I know... There's a tremendous amount of industry involved in the motorized field, and uh, every vehicle is bigger than the last vehicle, and there's now virtually Greyhound buses uh, that you can buy to, to do off-roading with. And uh, so it's, it's an industry that's got completely out of hand in terms of uh, exploring the wild. Uh, and uh, so it, it's another reason to, to draw a halt, because the vehicle industry can always make a bigger, a bigger unit, uh, but no, most of what I see there doesn't fit uh, the wilderness.
0: Thank you, Terry. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's all thank our wonderful speakers for educating us and uh, changing our attitude towards our lands.